Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask that librarian. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. Welcome back to another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's always fun to get together here. That's right. Talk books. Reading, all that good stuff, right? Just like a normal day at the library. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Today, we have Edward Ashton. He is the author of Antimatter Blues, which, depending on when you listen to this, was published or will be published on March 14th, 2023. So Antimatter Blues is the sequel to 2022's Mickey 7, which is being adapted for the screen by Academy Award winning director Bong Joon-ho. Edward has also authored Three Days in April and The End of Ordinary. His short fiction has appeared in venues ranging from, and we're going to have to unpack this a bit, the newsletter of an Italian sausage company to escape pod, analog, and fireside fiction. In his free time, he enjoys cancer research, teaching quantum physics to sullen graduate students, and whittling. So, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Excited to yeah. have you. So, the big book, it's coming out, or it's come out, depending on, again, when you listen to this. Uh, just tell us a little bit about it. So, as you said, Animated Blues is the direct sequel to Mickey 7. It picks up about two years after the events of the original book. I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't read Mickey 7 yet, but basic premise is that it's about someone whose job is to die. It's set about a thousand years in our future, and this guy, Mickey Barnes, is an expendable, which is someone who is tasked with doing dangerous to suicidal jobs on behalf of a colony expedition to a dangerous planet. And if he dies, they just make a new one. They pop a new one of him out of the bioprinter and upload his memories and no harm, no foul for everyone but him. By the time we start the book, he's already died six times. He's realized this was not the smartest decision he ever made to sign on to this gig. But this is the one job in the world where you literally cannot leave it. You can't even die to escape. He managed to resolve that situation by the end of Mickey 7, and things are actually going okay at the beginning of Antimatter Blues. The weather's gotten nicer. The planet's a little more hospitable. He's resigned from his job as an expendable. Things are looking good. But, of course, because I'm an author and therefore a sadist, things are not going to stay good. <laughs> Some of the lies he told to resolve his situation at the end of the first book come back to bite him in the backside, and things spiral downhill for him very quickly. Very good. So that's mm -hmm. the classic writing thing, right? You get your main character up a tree and mm -hmm. just throw rocks at them. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, very yeah. good. The hook on Mickey 7, it's exciting and it's fun. I've never heard of a concept that features a character who experiences what Mickey experiences. Exactly. And these are librarians saying this. We've been yeah. you know, around the block. We've read a lot of books. So how did you come upon that premise? What's like the seed there? I've always been interested in a, a philosophical problem that goes back to actually the 1750s, which is called the teletransport paradox. This was originally posed as a letter written to the Royal Scientific Society in, in England questioning whether if you could, and at this time they talked about souls, right? If you could transport your soul, copy your soul into a new exact copy of your body, would that be you? Or would that be a different person who's just running around getting his grubby hands all over your stuff? And it's really sort of an unresolvable problem. Where I first encountered this was as a kid watching Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, in Star Trek, we have a transport array, right? Which, as they sort of explain it, measures the position of every atom in your body and then sends that information to a distant receiver, which then reconstructs you on the far end. And even as like a five-year-old kid watching this, it seemed clear to me that that wasn't transporting anyone. <laughs> that was a murder machine <laughs> that produced a new person, a completely different person on the other end. If I were in Star Trek, I would ride the shuttle. I would not be taking the, the transport. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so I, I, I thought, well, how can I 
put a new spin on this. And so I came up with this idea, which is one that people are already thinking about, this idea of being able to record your mind, record your memory. And Ray Kurzweil at Google is very serious about this. I mean, the man takes like 300 pills a day to try to survive long enough for the technology to catch up where he can do this. He thinks this is a route to immortality. Again, as an author and a sadist, I took that concept and thought, what is the absolute worst thing we could possibly do with that? Because honestly, look at human history, that's a pretty good predictor for what we will do with it. And the concept of the expendables, what I came up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Antimatter Blues, did you always think about you know having a sequel? Was this always going to be a series? That's a really interesting question, which gets to the difference between someone who's at the point where I am in my literary career and somebody like John Scalzi, who's at a completely different place in their literary career. When you are where I am right now, You can't plan to write a series. (laughs) You're lucky to get a book contract. And the way the publishers look at these contracts is they assume that the sales of each subsequent book in a series will be a fraction Mm -hmm. of the sales of the previous book. Interesting. So if your first book doesn't sell as well as they wanted, they will not buy a second book. And then you've written an orphan book. (laughs) You know, Animated Blues is my fourth novel. I just actually turned in my fifth that's on its way to the copy editors standalone. right now. It's a standalone. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, so I've written all my books as standalones with the opportunity to continue the story of things go mm-hmm. well. So Mickey Seven is a complete book. There's no cliffhangers at the mm-hmm. end. What's going to happen now to be continued? But I left a little opening yeah. because I thought maybe mm-hmm. if things go well, sure. I will get the opportunity to write another book in this series. And things have gone well. Robert Pattinson's playing Mickey in, in a movie. <laughs> yeah. I, that's yeah. about as well as one could hope. And so they let me write another book. And are they going to let me write a third one? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Again, if you read Any Matter Blues, you would see that I left another like a little opening at Excellent. the end. But it's still a complete story. And sure. if I never write a third one, I don't feel like I've left anything out or that I've cheated my readers out of anything. I love that. Hmm. That's a good approach. When I read this book, when I knew that we were going to talk to you, and I found out that, that this book was being turned into a movie by Bong Joon-ho and starring Robert Pattinson, as you just said, I was like blown away that somebody from Rochester was going to be involved in a movie by this director. Of course, Bong Joon-ho directed Parasite, which won the best picture in 2019. 19. Thank you. How did that feel to find out that your book was going to be turned into a movie by this absolutely amazing director? What's that like getting? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I've actually gotten to hang out with director Bong a little bit. He's an incredibly nice man. He's got fabulous hair and a great scarf (laughs) game. Um, So I was able to, to be on set and watch some of the filming and hang around with him a little and tour me around the set. And just to give you an example of what kind of a person he is, he was taking me around the set. And he's showing me different things and pointing out, here's here's this thing you described. And look, we made it. And he picked up a piece of the scenery and he looked around and he slipped it into my pocket and <laughs> leaned in and whispered in my ear, no one will notice. Take this <laughs> home. I mean, that's, that's just like he didn't have to do that. No, that's it, going back so to even cool. the first time I spoke with him, after he was attached to the project, we had about a two-hour Zoom call where he was asking me about the book. And it quickly became apparent that he had read this book more closely than I wrote it. I mean, he thought about things that I had never even considered. You know, like, how do creepers reproduce? That's fantastic. I I don't know. Like, uh, when a mommy creeper and a daddy creeper love each other? I, I I don't know. I didn't think about it. It's like, that doesn't happen. But he wanted to know. I mean, he wanted to know that level of detail. And during the conversation... He said, look, you know, I'm writing a 120-page script. You wrote a 350-page novel. Things are going to have to come out. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me what is the thing that you think is the heart of this book that has to be in this movie, and Mm -hmm. I will promise you that it will be in. And I said, 
chapter 19. I want chapter 19 in there. And if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. If not, look at chapter 19. It's a fun one. And he said, you know what? Actually, when I read that, it made me cry. It was going to be in any way. And I said, can I have another one? He said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier that you're just sort of soaking in all these experiences. It must be such a unique experience to see your world come to life yeah. and to see the set, see the actors being the characters. Oh, absolutely. It's it's surreal. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I was only able to be on set for, for one day. I was there for about 10 hours. And so I got to watch some of the filming mm-hmm. and then they toured me around and th- they're doing this as what they call practical sets. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bunch of CGI. They're actually building this stuff. Wow. Um, so the vehicles and the, and the sets, they're all physically building them. You know, the guy who built the flitter, which is one of the vehicles mm-hmm. that I have in the book, he and I got to crawl underneath this. I'm an engineer. I like to know how things work. And he and I were like on our backs underneath this thing. He's showing me how they built the, the crankshaft yeah. so it can be driven from here. And, you know, the thing is, it's actually highway legal. Like they wow. were going to drive it. That vehicle they wow. built for the set, they were going to drive it 50 miles up the road to do some offsite filming. You know, the whole thing was just an absolutely uh, surreal is the only word I can use for it. It's, it's an absolutely surreal Sounds experience. Like it. Yeah, the, really the fact does. that I didn't realize it's going to be all practical effects yeah. like that. That's... And, and reading the book, there is a lot yeah. of scenery. There's, you know, yeah. a whole other world. You've got this massive ship. Everything is described in so much detail. So creating that is such an undertaking. And so it, 2024, is that right? Yeah. March 29th, I believe. Oh, excellent. Oh, oh, about awesome. a year away. Yeah, Mickey, 17, it's called? Yes. Okay. Yeah, apparently Director Bong didn't think I was quite murderous enough. He, <laughs> he, he wanted more corpses, so... Fair know. enough, fair. It's 100% fair, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Pattinson's in it, right? There's some other... Uh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo, okay. Tony Collette, yeah. Stephen Yoon from wow. uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a big cast. They're not fooling around. No, guys. wow. Uh, it's a blockbuster. I mean, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Did you get to meet any of the... I got to meet Robert Pattinson. I got to briefly meet Holiday Granger, who's one of the other one of the other stars. Mark Ruffalo was not on on set, unfortunately, on the day that I was there. Robert Pattinson also very nice. Yeah. He's a very nice guy. At least he yeah. was he was nice to me. I don't know. I, I had a brief <laughs> interaction with him. They were they were filming him in a pretty uncomfortable scene yeah. for him, mm. I think. So he wasn't super chatty, but you know he had very cold hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's just super cool. You know people. Gave him a hard time for a while because of Twilight, but he has been in some he's incredible a great actor. movies. Yeah. yeah, the Batman was the big one recently, but Good Time he's amazing in. I just can't wait to see him in this. Yeah, in absolutely. This I think he's going to be a really good Mickey. Uh, I, th- I think he's he's going to blow the doors off. It's, yeah, it's going to be a banger. Very cool. Just real quick before we kind of shift gears and ask you about what you love to read and all your reading habits. You know, I did say in the opening the the Italian sausage company you're writing there. Just. If you could. So I, I sold my first professional story in 1988, if that tells you anything about how decrepit I am. <laughs> and the person who bought it from me was a person who owned an Italian sausage company and had decided that apparently there might be better margins in selling short fiction than Italian sausage, <laughs> which I think was a poor business decision <laughs> on his part. Uh, but he decided to, to start a side business selling short stories for 99 cents a piece. And mine was the first one that he bought and he paid me in pizza. He paid me in a three foot by three foot sheet pizza, which I thought was the greatest thing (laughs) in the world at the time. I was 19 years old and I was a swimmer in college. So I pretty much ate the entire thing myself. (laughs) I learned later 
that you can exchange cash for goods and services and you can use money to buy more pizzas yes. yeah. or ah. other things as well, even like a soda to go with it. <laughs> so later on, I started selling my work for money yeah. instead of food. But it, like I said, at the time, I thought it was great. Oh, well, yeah. Edward Ashton will write for pizza. It, was, it has a good ring to it. Yes. It's very cool. All right, so let's talk books and reading. Obviously, you're writing some big sci-fi stuff coming. Do you have a favorite sci-fi novel or a favorite sci-fi film? You mentioned Star Trek before. Uh, I'm not a big Star Trek fan, honestly. Uh, no, I, you know, in terms of science fiction novels, I do have one that's always been really close to my heart. It's, it's called Dying of the Light. It's okay. written by George R.R. Martin long before he wrote this Song of Ice and Fire stuff, which yeah. I am not a big fan of. He wrote a series of science fiction novels in the 1970s, which are set in a universe that has some similarities. So one that I've built for, for Mickey 7 in that humanity is sort of spread out yeah. to many planets. And their civilization basically has been destroyed by a catastrophic war with an alien species. And, and so there are a bunch of different places which are cut off from one another. And they all have these really unique individual cultures. I thought the book was fascinating. I read it when I was probably 10 years old. Oh, okay. And yeah. I've reread it three or four times since then stuck with me ever since it's influenced a lot of work that i do now great great answer mm. so you know if that's what you were reading when you're 10 what kind of reader were you as a child did you read a lot of science fiction from the get-go oh, i was voracious my mother made fun of me forever because she caught me reading the rise and fall of the third reich when i was five <laughs> um, I, anything you put in front they had to be very careful about what books they put on the lower shelves mm. because anything you put in front of me i would pick it up and, and devour it mm -hmm. was i mean i didn't understand all of what mm -hmm. I was reading, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, I've looked back on some of the books that I read then and reread them and realized I really, really didn't understand. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I read everything from history to philosophy to science fiction to literary fiction, any anything mm -hmm. I could get my hands on. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. So you you do a little bit of world building, of course, but if you could take a book anywhere, transport or, you know, do that. Beamed down. Beamed down. Yeah. Where would you go to read a book? What's the your relaxing spot, your favorite spot? I have a personal spot. This is a place that I we've made a little ritual out of taking each of my daughters to spend a night in this place. It's called Mary's Rock. It's in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. It's a 3,000 foot granite spire. There's a sort of a difficult steep trail that you, you take to ascend. And at the top, there's basically a platform about, I don't know, 20, 30 yards across that leans out over the Shenandoah Valley. And it's a sheer drop of a mm. couple of thousand feet. And uh, you're not allowed to camp up there, yeah. but nobody comes and looks. Sure. So <laughs> so we do anyway. It's, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Yeah. If you said I could go anywhere and just chill for an afternoon, that is definitely where I would be. Very cool. That's awesome. You're speaking to two uh, big yeah. National Parks fans. so. And I'm actually visiting Shenandoah next month. Oh, so yeah. I might have to You'll have uh, to take stop by. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's right by Thornton's Gap. Okay, bring, I will look it up. Bring his new book. Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. So then, do you have a, a best book that you've read recently? I'm right now reading Children of Memory, which is the third book in Adrian Tchaikovsky's Children of Time series. I highly recommend that entire okay. series if you're interested in science fiction, obviously. Mm -hmm. Tchaikovsky's an absolutely brilliant writer. He is a master of world building, and he's really interested in the way different minds work. In his first book, Children of Time, he posits uh, a society made by sentient spiders. And how would they think? He doesn't just make them like humans with eight legs. Mm -hmm. How would they think differently? How mm -hmm. would they behave differently? How would their society be organized differently because of their immensely different biology? 
And he does that with other species as well. And it's just absolutely fascinating. And he's a great storyteller as well. So awesome. Highly recommended. All right. You mentioned to us earlier that you've done a lot of podcasts to talk about your writing and, and your books. If you had your own podcast, you can invite any author, living or dead, just to come on and, and talk shop with. Uh, that, that's an easy one. My entire literary career has actually been a long con to try to get John Scalzi to follow me back on right. Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, if, if I could get him in a room with me, I think we could be best friends forever. And I, <laughs> I probably wouldn't kidnap him, but I, maybe I would. I don't know. You can't predict the future, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I always love asking this question. What elements do you connect to most in a work of literature as a reader? That's a really good question. There obviously are a number of different things that come together to make a story. To me, though, the heart of every story, whether it's science fiction or literary fiction or horror or anything, is the characters and the interactions between the characters and the emotional connections between the characters. Particularly writing in science fiction, that can sometimes be a rare thing to find. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people writing in science fiction who come up with an idea and they write about the idea and the characters are just sort of puppets dancing on a string to illustrate their idea. I can't get into that sort of thing. I want to know who I'm hearing about. And I want to care about what they're going through and what they're experiencing. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's the person to person connection. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. All right, Edward, it's been an absolute delight chatting yeah. with you today, right? Great news for the patrons of the Pittsburgh Community Library. Ed is going to be here in our Fisher meeting room on Saturday, March 25th at 2 p.m. He's going to be talking about that new book, Antimatter Blues. We're going to have it in the collection. Go buy it wherever you get your books from. We're going to be doing a little reading, sign a couple of books. Folks, it's March. What else do you have to do? You don't need to register. Just come on down to the Fisher meeting room. And go read Mickey 7 before you... Yeah, you absolutely. Know. Highly recommend. Definitely. Highly recommend. Yeah, it's one of those books I've passed along to my in-laws, and they buzz through it, and they're like, that book was great. And they, yeah. And they, don't, they do not read science fiction, so kudos to you. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And uh, you can find Ed on Twitter, at Ed Ashton Writing, or on Instagram, at bucket underscore of underscore spiders. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I like that. We love that one. So yeah, Ed, thanks again. All the success in the world to the new book. And we look forward to that and the movie and everything else. So thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music, the Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects, and to the New York Times for the use of the Buy the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.